1: Welcome to the Noya Caribbean podcast. This podcast is dedicated to bringing to life Caribbean history and culture from our Indo-Caribbean experience, the lives of our indigenous people, the Arawak, Kalinago, Taino, and more, our African heritage, and of course, our gangster stories of resistance and rebellion in the Caribbean, throwing in the history of our music, food, and cultural practices. So get to know yourself through know your caribbean the know your caribbean podcast hello hello folks and welcome to this episode of the know your caribbean podcast and in this episode we are talking about love because damn it we need a good love story And it's so hard to find these love stories, especially when it comes to our enslaved ancestors, but come on in all the 400 years, there would have been millions of beautiful acts and instances of love. And this is something that I really want to uncover in this podcast series. So for this episode, I'm going to bring you guys into the story of Madison, Washington, an enslaved man on a plantation in Virginia. Now his story is a whirlwind of magic, scary journeys and all for the freedom of the love of his life, his wife, Susan. So let's dig into the story of Madison Washington. I'm going to read an excerpt um, put together by a cultural and critical edition edited by Robert S. Levine, John Stouffer and John R. McKivigan. And this was published with the assistance of the National Historical Publications and Records Commission. And one of the things is I'm going to give you guys an introduction as part of this cultural and critical um, overview is this. On 25th October 1841, the slave ship Creole left Richmond, Virginia for New Orleans, the largest slave trading market in North America. The brig carried 13 sailors and crew, six white passengers, numerous boxes of tobacco, and 135 enslaved, worth about a hundred thousand dollar, around three million dollars in 2014 currency. So it's probably a bit more now, right? Eight days later, as the Creoles sailed through the northern Bahamas, 19 enslaved rose up in revolt. Within a few hours, they had taken control of the ship and forced the crewmen to sail the brig to the Bahamas. They put into port on New Providence at Nassau, the largest settlement in the Bahamas, populated chiefly by black people who had been freed by Great Britain's 1833 Emancipation Act. Now, so many times when I'm reading things, of course, um, they were freed by Great Britain and all this kind of thing like that is i know that they have to condense things um but in terms of this kind of narration about that enslaved were just freed by great britain because out of the goodness of their own hearts or whatever but not taking into account that rebellions and revolts that happened like sam sharp's rebellion it happened in jamaica where over sixty thousand enslaved people rose up in revolt and that was a very instrumental um in the decision making to end um saving the caribbean there are so many rebellions that happened, like buster and barbados things was popping off in the caribbean at the time just before emancipation and all of those rebellions were key in making that shit happen so i just wanted to put in that little uh extra thing but to give you guys context you know slavery ended in the united states in 1865 and ended in the caribbean in 1833 Of course, there was a four to six-year period of apprenticeship. But at this time in 1841, when the Creole had left Richmond, Virginia, slavery was still running and would run for another 25 years in the U.S. But it had already ended. Apprenticeship and everything would have ended, at least for about three to four years already in the Caribbean after the apprenticeship period. So just that little... um, Segue there. So the crew reached Nassau on the 9th of November. The mutineers appealed to the British authorities, who within a week had freed the 116 enslaved not participating in the rebellion, but detained the mutineers. And in March in 1842, they too were freed. The rebellion was comparatively civil. One crewman and two enslaved were killed. Taking into account the county, numbers liberated versus those killed, it was one of the most successful slave revolts in North America. Now, I I mean, how do you quantify success? I I, I don't really like that little <laughs> line there because, okay, yes, loss of life, very successful in that aspect. But in terms of what was achieved, there were many slave revolts that happened across North America and the Caribbean where in which a lot of great things did happen. It goes on to say, The Creole mutiny electrified the nation and helped escalate sectional tensions over slavery. Southerners and some Northerners were outraged at British authorities' choice to free U.S. enslaved, especially those who had taken violent action against their masters. They viewed the British as endorsing slave insurrections, their worst nightmare, whilst also denying Americans their legal right to the domestic slave trade. In response, many Southerners demanded war with England and threatened to start it themselves. (laughs) It was mad, mad boy. The abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator, reprinting an article from Portsmouth, New Hampshire Journal, summed up their position by imagining a particularly boisterous Southerner who announces to the nation, If you will not go to war to defend us in this right of slave trading, we will begin the fight ourselves and plunge you into war, whether you will or no. So we are going to go into this story of all of this drama happening. And it's a love story behind it. Um, And that is the story of Madison Washington and his wife, Susan. Certain things I need to clarify. So for example, the use of the word slave and enslaved. Some of the old writings would use the word slave. I have revised it and changed it to enslaved as we are making this movement to separate ourselves from just reducing our ancestors to the term slave and humanize them and making this addition of enslaved to show that it the act of enslavement was put upon so the american abolitionist frederick douglas i'm sure many of you have heard about know about studied him um and if not you would have come across his name as one of the most iconic um black leaders in the abolitionist movement as a part of american history and one of the black american heroes frederick douglas in his book the heroic slave talks in detail about Madison, Washington. A quick backstory about Frederick Douglass. As per a very quick Wikipedia biography, if you guys want to find out more about Frederick Douglass, there is a plethora of information. But Frederick Douglass was an African-American social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, and statesman. After escaping slavery in Maryland, he became a national leader of the abolitionist movement in Massachusetts. I can never say that with Massachusetts, Massachusetts and New York becoming famous for his oratory and incisive anti slavery writings. Accordingly, he was described by abolitionists in this time as a living counterexample to slaveholders arguments that enslaved lacked the intellectual capacity to function as independent american citizens likewise northerners at the time found it hard to believe that such a great orator had once been a slave or enslaved so that's a bit about frederick Douglass's very long and amazing backstory right But Frederick Douglass was very instrumental in bringing, um, national attention to Madison, Washington. So I'm going to read you guys one of Frederick Douglass's speeches, where he speaks about Madison, Washington. So he resolved again to take no counsel either on one hand or the other, but to go back to Virginia and rescue his wife, if possible. That was a noble resolve. So the transcript says applause, so I'm just going to add some applause there, all right. And the result was still more noble. On reaching there, he was unfortunately arrested and thrown into prison under heavy irons. At the appointed time, he was brought manacled upon the auctioneer's block and sold to a New Orleans trader. We see nothing more of Madison Washington until we see him at the head of a gang of 100 enslaved destined for the southern market. He, together with the rest of the gang, were driven to the border of the Brig Creole at Richmond and placed beneath the hatchway in irons. The slave dealer, I sometimes think I see him, walking the deck of that ship freighted with human misery, quietly smoking his cigar, calmly and coolly calculating the value of the human flesh beneath the hatchway. The first day passed away, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seven passed, and there was nothing on board to disturb the repose of this iron hearted monster. He was quietly hoping for a pleasant breeze to waft him to the New Orleans market before it could be glutted with human flesh. On the eighth day, it seems that Madison Washington succeeded in getting off one of his irons, for he had been at work all the while. The same day he succeeded in getting the irons off the hands of some 17 or 18 others. When the slaveholders came down below, they found their human shutters apparently all their irons on. But they were broken. About twilight on the ninth day, Madison, it seems, reached his head above the hatchway looked out on the swelling billows of the atlantic and feeling the breeze that coursed over its surface was inspired with the spirit of freedom he leapt from beneath the hatchway gave a cry like an eagle to his comrades beneath saying we must go through insert great applause <clears throat> suiting the action to the word in an instant his guilty master was prostrate on the deck And in a very few minutes, Madison Washington, a black man with a woolly head, high cheekbones, protruding lip, distended nostril, and retreating forehead, had the mastery of that ship. And under his direction, that brig was brought safely to the port of Nassau, New Providence. So we are all wondering what happened to Madison and his wife. Did he find someone else? Did he reconnect with her? Was it all in vain? We all want to know. And an excerpt from the Liberator newspaper in June of 1842, so less than a year later, I'm right about this and goes on to say this. This name will be remembered as belonging to the leader of the immortal Nineteen who fought for and obtained their liberty on board the Creole. Madison was the, quote, very large and strong enslaved found in after the cabin and being seized both with master and mate, shook them off and in spite of their endeavors, together with those of a third sailor who stood over the hatchway, forced a passage and rushing on deck, crying, we have begun and we must go through. So it goes on to say this, the sequel we all know, Madison Washington is again a free man under the dominion of Queen Victoria. Long may he remain free. One question, however, we greatly wish to have answered, is he still without his beloved wife? Well, you guys, we are going to find out after a break, after a word from our sponsors. Did you know that you can get more from Know Your Caribbean? Well, yes, you can join our Patreon platform. And this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers who help support this platform grow. Our Patreon members get loads more Know Your Caribbean content, including extra podcast episodes. So let's big up all of our Patreon members who have made this free episode of Know Your Caribbean possible you can join the patreon posse by signing up on patreon.com forward slash know your caribbean welcome welcome back guys to this love story episode as we dive into the story about madison washington and you guys just heard that very powerful speech by the great frederick Douglass talking about madison's story this is the first breakdown of madison washington's story but there's more to that and before we get into that i'm going to give you guys a brief narrative of a writer who was a formerly enslaved man and his name was william wells brown i'm going to be reading an excerpt from william brown's writing about the creole and the story of madison washington So, born into slavery, William Wells Brown escaped in 1834 and quickly emerged as a black abolitionist leader. Over the years, he also became a master of letters, writing novels, plays, and autobiographies. The narrative of William Brown, a fugitive slave, 1847. Um, Clotel, that's C-L-O-T-E-L, written in 1853, generally regarded as the first novel written by an African-American. So we're going to have a bit of a listen to William Wells Brown on Madison Washington's story to give you the most smashing conclusion of this love story. So when looking at Michael Wells Brown's book, um, definitely sauce has been added to the thing, right? Now, I want to say I personally don't mind. If we across the diaspora have to depend on the writings written by white men, it is completely devoid of emotion or the perspective of black people and you know even looking at histories like for example roman histories or like how we romanticize people like churchill or you know all of these kind of um, white heroes and stuff like that some source has been added to their stories too especially when we look at hollywood films how in which so many people like people who do have like kind of you know shady backstories or side stories or skeletons in their closet and they are painted as these most like amazing people ever right so you know we all know these we all know and have seen these stories and i personally i don't need for every single story when it comes to us in terms of has to be coming from like a history book i'm fine with the extra source because i want to fall into the romance into the joy into the extra sauce and seasoning and creative input from a writer especially if this writer is black and is doing it from a perspective that is also mine or perspective that i can connect to because we need these kind of things so it's kind of like a this is based on a true story inspired by you know in the movies when you see in the beginning it's inspired by a true story this is a vibe that we are going with okay So now when we are going into Madison Washington's story, we need to look at a few key things. What Madison Washington did is true, okay? So number one, he did escape from his plantation in Virginia. Number two, he did travel all of that way, which was about a thousand miles across the borders into Canada to work. And he did decide to travel all those thousands of miles back Uh, to virginia back to his wife so all of these things did happen and he was recaptured and sent into enslavement um, and shipped off into new orleans and yes the rebellion did happen on the ship and what happened after all of these things are factual and three Oh, I cannot tell you what the third thing is, because if I tell you, I will spoil the story. So should we just get into the book? Let's go. Among the great number of fugitive enslaved who arrived in Canada towards the close of the year 1840 was one whose tall figure, firm step, and piercing eye attracted at once the attention of all who beheld him nature had treated him as a favorite his expressive countenance painted and reflected every emotion of his soul there was a fascination in the gaze of his finely cut eyes that no one could withstand born of African heritage with no mixture in his blood he was one of the handsomest of his race His dignified, calm and unaffected features announced at a glance that he was one endowed with genius and created to guide his fellow men. He called himself Madison Washington and said that his birthplace was the old dominion. He might have seen 25 years, but very few enslaved have any correct idea of their age. Madison was not poorly dressed and had some money at the end of his journey which showed that he was not from amongst the worst used enslaved from the south. He immediately sought employment at a neighboring farm where he remained some months. A strong, able-bodied man and a good worker and apparently satisfied with his situation, his employer felt that he had a servant who would stay with him a long while. The farmer would occasionally raise a conversation and try to draw from Madison some account of his former life. But in this he failed, for the fugitive was a man of few words and kept his own secrets. His leisure hours were spent in learning to read and write, and in this he seemed to take the utmost of interest. He appeared to take no interest in sports and amusements that occupied the attention of others. Six months had not passed, and Madison began to show signs of discontent. In vain, his employer tried to discover the cause. Do I not pay you enough and treat you in a becoming manner? asked Mr. Dixon one day when the fugitive seemed in a very desponding mood. Yes, sir, replied Madison. Then why do you appear so dissatisfied of late? Well, sir, said the fugitive, since you have treated me with such kindness, and seem to take so much interest in me, I will tell you the reason why I have changed and appear to you to be dissatisfied. I was born in slavery in the state of Virginia. From my earliest recollections, I hated slavery and determined to be free. I have never yet called any man master, though I have been held by three different men who claim me as their property. The birds in the trees and the wild beasts of the forest made me feel that I ought to be free. My feelings were all first centered in the one idea of liberty, of which I thought by day and dreamed by night. I had scarcely reached my 20th year when I became acquainted with the angelic being who has since become my wife. It was my intention to have escaped with her before we married, but circumstances prevented. I took her to my bosom as my wife and then resolved to make the attempt. But unfortunately, my plans were discovered and to save myself from being caught and sold off into the far south, I escaped into the woods where I remained during many weary months. Another reason for remaining was I hoped that I could get up an insurrection of the enslaved and thereby be the means of their liberation. In this too, I failed. At last, it was agreed between my wife and me that I should escape to Canada get employment, save my money, and with it, purchase her freedom. With the hope of attaining this end, I came to your service. I am now satisfied that, with the wages I can command here, it will take me not less than five years to obtain my labour, with a sufficient amount to purchase the liberty of my dear Susan. Five years will be too long for me to wait, for she may die or be sold, ere I can raise the money. This, sir, makes me feel low-spirited. And I have come to rash determination to return to Virginia for my wife. The recital of the story had already brought tears to the eyes of the farmer, ere the fugitive had concluded. In vain did Mr. Dixon try to persuade Madison to give up the idea of going back into the very grasp of the tyrant and risking the loss of his own freedom without securing that of his wife. The heroic man had made up his mind, and nothing could move him. Receiving the amount of wages due to him from his employer, Madison turned his face once more towards the South. Supplied with papers purporting to have been made out in Virginia and certifying to his being a free man, the fugitive had no difficulty in reaching the neighborhood of his wife. But these quote-unquote free papers were only calculated to serve him where he was not known. Madison had also provided himself with files, saws and other implements to which to cut his way out of any prison into which he might be cast. These instruments were so small as to be easily concealed in the lining of his clothing and armed with them the fugitive felt sure he could escape again where he could never be captured. These instruments were so small as to be easily concealed in the lining of his clothing and armed with them the fugitive felt sure that he could escape again were he ever captured. On his return Madison met in the state of Ohio many of whom had seen his journey to Canada and all tried to prevail upon him to give up on the rash attempt but to everyone he would reply liberty is worth nothing to me whilst my wife is a slave. When near his former home and unable to travel in an open day without being detected, Madison betook himself to the woods during the day and traveled by night. At last he arrived at the old farm at night and hid away in the nearest forest. Here he remained several days filled with hope and fear without being able to obtain any information about his wife. One evening, during this suspense, Madison heard the singing of a company of enslaved until he became convinced that it was a gang going to a corn-chucking, and a fugitive resolved that he would join it and see if he could get any intelligence to his wife. In Virginia, as well as in most of the other corn-raising slave states, there is a custom of having what is termed a corn-chucking, to which enslaved from neighboring plantations with the consent of their masters are invited. And the conclusion of the shocking are suppers provided by the owner of the corn and thus together with the bad whiskey which is freely circulated on such occasions and are are made to feel very happy. Four or five companies of men may be heard in different directions and at the same time approaching the place of rendezvous and they've the gangs along the roads as they pass their masters farms. Madison came upon the highway and as the company came along singing he fell into the ranks and joined in the song. Through the darkness of the night he was able to keep from being recognized by the remainder of the company while he learned from the general conversation the most important news of the day. Although hungry and thirsty, the fugitive dared not to go to the supper table for fear of recognition. However, before he left company that night, he gained information enough to satisfy him that his wife was still with her old master and that he hoped to see her, if possible, on the following night. The sun had scarcely set the next evening ere Madison was wending his way out of the forest. Susan, the subject of his affections, was indeed a woman every way worthy of his love. Madison knew well where to find the room usually occupied by his wife. And to that spot, he made his way on arriving at the plantation. But in his zeal and enthusiasm, in which being too confident of success, he committed a blunder which nearly cost him his life. Fearful that if he waited until a late hour, Susan would be asleep. And in awakening her, she would in her fright alarm the household. Madison ventured to her room too early in the evening before the whites in the great house had retired. Observed by the overseer and a sufficient number of whites, the fugitive was secured before he could escape with his wife. But the heroic enslaved man did not yield until he with the club had laid three of his assailants upon the ground with many blows. Yeah, he gave them a lick down. <laughs> Madison was at once taken to Richmond and sold to a slave trader, then making up a gang of enslaved for the New Orleans market. The Brick Creole owned by Johnson and Epperson of Richmond and commanded by Captain Ensign lay at Richmond dock waiting for her cargo which usually consisted of tobacco, hemp, flax and enslaved two cabins for the enslaved one for the men and the other for the women the men were generally kept in chains whilst on the voyage but the women were usually unchained and allowed to roam at pleasure in their own cabin On the 27th of october 1841 the creole sailed from hampton roads bound for the slave market in new orleans with her full load of freight 135 enslaved and three passengers besides the crew 40 of the enslaved were owned by Thomas McArgo, 9 belonged to Henry Hewell and the remainder were held by Johnson and Epperson. Hewell was once an overseer for McArgo and on this occasion was acting as his agent. Among the enslaved owned by Johnson and Epperson was Madison Washington. He was heavily ironed chained down to the floor of the cabin occupied by the men in the forward hold as it was known by madison's purchasers that he had once escaped and had been in canada they kept a watchful eye over him aka they were shook Um, the two cabins were separated so that the men and women had no communication whatever during the passage although rather gloomy at times madison on this occasion seemed very cheerful and his owners thought that he might have repented of the experience. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so the owner thought he repented. So this is why he's more cheerful. Okay. Yeah, makes complete sense. So his owners thought that he had repented of the experience he had undergone as a runaway. Um, This is a narrative I find a lot like, you see like so many um things, maybe um for the next episode, I can read an excerpt that I had found um from a new orleans it was a uh, a letter written by a man who had visited actually a new orleans slave trading um auction and there was this man who was like yo like because he, he had seen this man who looked white but was enslaved and he's like yo this is wrong how can you have this man as an enslaved and this and this and like this the, like, the slave trader was like nah but like these people and them they once they get their freedom they can't handle it they like they can't handle being a runaway they can't handle doing stuff on their own they don't know how to handle independence and it's better that they're enslaved so this is constant narrative i've seen many times when i'm reading through some of this stuff right so as you're saying as his owners thought he had repented of the experience he had undergone as a runaway and in the future would prove a more easily governed shuttle But from the first hour he had entered the cabin of the Creole, Madison had been busily engaged in a selection of men who were to act as parts in the great drama. He picked out each one as if by intuition. Everything was done at night and in the dark, as far as the preparation was concerned. The miniature saws and file that were faithfully used when the whites were asleep. So remember all the things that he had hidden in his clothes, right? In the other cabin among the enslaved women was one whose beauty at once attracted attention. This was Susan the wife of Madison. So wait hold on hold on hold on hold on so you mean to tell me she was on the same ship the whole time? That's right in the strangest stroke of luck the man who was fighting so hard to get back to his wife who he thought was thousands of miles away was right there on the same slave ship as him. Now let's get back to the story. Accustomed to travel with her mistress Susan had often been to Richmond, Norfolk, White Sulphur Springs and other places of resort for the aristocracy of the Old Dominion. Her language was far more quote-unquote correct than most enslaved in her position. Susan was as devoted to Madison as she was beautiful and accomplished. Her language was far more quote-unquote correct than most and stayed in her position. Susan was as devoted to Madison as she was beautiful and accomplished. Now there are certain things like you know even within this narrative which is a pro-abolitionist narrative. Um, in where you find little things where like success and beauty are still um associated with approximation to whiteness so the correctness of her of her english her level of being accomplished by the fact that she was able to travel more by being in different white spaces and so on like that and these are things that we're working through and unpicking that even within our own movements we still have you know this very complicated relationship with whiteness After the arrest of her husband and his confinement in Richmond Jail, it was suspected that Susan had long been in possession of the knowledge of his whereabouts when in Canada and knew of his being in the neighborhood. For this crime, it was resolved that she had been sold and sent off to a southern plantation where all hope of escape would be at an end. Each was not aware that the other was on board the Creole, for Madison and Susan were taken to their respective cabins at different times. On the ninth day out, the Creole encountered a rough sea and most of the enslaved were sick and therefore were not watched with that vigilance that they had since been since she first sailed. This was a time for Madison and his accomplices to work and nobly did they perform their duty. Night came on. The first watch had just been summoned, the wind blowing high. When Madison succeeded in reaching the quarter deck, Followed by 18 others, all of whom sprang to different parts, seizing whatever they could wield as weapons. The crew nearly all on deck. Captain Ensign and Mr. Merritt, the first mate, were standing together while Hewell was seated on the companion smoking a cigar. The appearance of the enslaved all at once and the loud voice, commanding attitude of their leader so completely surprised the whites that, and I quote, they spake not a word but like dumb statues or breathless stones stared at each other and looked deadly pale the officers were all armed but so sweet with the motions of madison that they nearly lost command of the vessel before they attempted to use their weapons he well. The greater part of whose life had been spent on the plantation in the capacity of a Negro driver who knew that the defiant looks of these men meant something was the first to start. He kind of sound like them drivers you see you saw in Django, the ones that the ones that was kind of like fumbling. Do you remember that scene? Like he was like fumbling for his gun when Django was coming. I think Django had like shot his his brother or something like that. John Brooks. Yeah, boy. God damn it kind of it kind of gave me that scene in my head so it goes on to say drawing his old horse pistol from under his coat he fired at one of the blacks and killed him the next moment he was laid dead upon the deck for madison had struck his blood clots with a capstan bar okay the blood part wasn't in the book okay work with me (laughs) the fight now became general the white passengers as well as all the crew taking part the battle was madison's element and he plunged into it without any care for his own preservation or safety if the fire of heavens was in my hands i would throw it at these cowardly whites said he to one of his companions but in this he did not mean revenge only the possession of his freedom and that of his fellow enslaved Merritt and gifford the first and second mates of the vessel both attacked the heroic enslaved at the same time both were stretched out upon the deck (laughs) sorry i just go i just saw like a, a cut of like them charging like being all like heroic and it just cuts into them just being sprawl out <laughs> stretch out on decks so <laughs> it goes to say both were stretched out upon the deck with a single blow each but were merely wounded they were disabled and that was all that madison cared for for the time being his commanding attitude and daring orders now that he was free and his perfect preparation for the grand alternative of liberty or death stood before him after his accomplices had covered the slavers deck madison forbade the shedding of more blood and ordered the sailors to come down which they did And with his own hands, he dressed their wounds. Now, that's one of the things they did say about Madison. It's like, you know, one person died, right? There's like one white person died, one insane person died. And they're like, yo, can we just, this is not what we're here to do. We're not here to kill y'all. We're just here for our freedom. That's it. So it goes on to say this. A guard was placed over all except Merit, who was retained to navigate the vessel. With a musket doubly charged and pointed at Merritt's breast, the enslaved made him swear that he would faithfully take the brig to a British port. All things now secure, the white men in chains are under guard. Madison ordered that the fetters should be severed from the limbs of those enslaved who still wore them. The next morning, quote-unquote, Captain Washington for such was the name he now bore, ordered the cook to provide the best breakfast that the storeroom could furnish. You could imagine that feeling like, yo, we are commandering this ship and we're gonna eat all the best. That breakfast must have been the most delicious breakfast they've ever had. Anyway, I digress again. So he ordered the cook to provide the best breakfast that the storeroom could furnish, intending to surprise his fellow enslaved especially the females who he had not yet seen so remember if you missed that his wife is on the ship in the other cabin for the female enslaved but he was just broken out and doing his thing because he just wanted to get to freedom he didn't even know that his wife was on this so could you imagine like all of this meme has happened he's so impassioned thinking his wife is like thousands of miles away, and she's right there. So here we go. But little did he think that the woman for whom he had risked his liberty and life would meet him at the breakfast table. The meeting of the hero and his beautiful wife, the tears of joy shed, and the hurrahs that followed from the men can better be imagined than described. I like that line. Could better be imagined than described. But could you like even imagine that moment of them opening up the hold where the enslaved women were were trapped inside and then you see like your wife is there. Like that's mad. Um, So it goes on to say Madison's cup of joy was filled to the brim. He had not only gained his own liberty and that of 134 others but his dear susan was safe only one man he well had been killed and of course the other enslaved man who was killed on the ship who remains unnamed unfortunately captain ensign and others who were wounded soon recovered and were kindly treated by madison they nevertheless proved ungrateful of course because it's like i saw um this thing from these enslaved who had a rebellion in barbados and they're like these ungrateful wretches like you're happy <laughs> just like anytime and safe people would resist they were always called ungrateful and as just like the audacity of it all it really is mind-boggling but as we can see here once again they were seen as ungrateful for on the second night, Captain Ensign, Mr. Gifford and Merritt took advantage of the absence of Madison from the deck and attempted to retake the vessel. The enslaved, exasperated at this treachery, fell upon the whites with deadly weapons. The captain and his men fled to the cabin, pursued by the blacks. Nothing but the heroism of the Negro leader saved the lives of the white men on this occasion. As for the enslaved, the rushing into the cabin Madison threw himself between them and their victims exclaiming stop no more blood my life that was periled for your liberty I will lay down for the protection of these men they have proved themselves unworthy of life which we granted them still let us be magnanimous by the kind heart and noble bearing of Madison the vile slave traders were again permitted to go unwhipped of justice This act of humanity raised the uncouth son of Africa far above his Anglo-Saxon oppressors. The next morning, the Creole landed at Nassau, New Providence, where the noble and heroic enslaved were warmly greeted by the inhabitants, who at once offered protection and extended their hospitality. Many months since, an American ship went ashore at Nassau, and among the first to render assistance to the crew was Madison, Washington. So this is the end of um, this excerpt that was written by William Wells Brown and what happened to uh, Madison, Susan, all the other NSA people who were on that ship? Well there was a whole hoo-ha-hurrah, America was vexed, saying England used to give us back our people, we own them, Britain was like nah. We don't do slavery here. They're free people. You can do, you can talk all you want, but you're not getting them back. There's a whole back and forth in Congress, and if you remember things like, for example, what happened on the slave ship Amistad, um, when these enslaved were um, sent back to Africa in that rare case. Um, but this was also a similar um, thing where it went to the courts the insurers because of course the insurer regarding the slave trade as well it wasn't just money making through um, cotton and sugar and stuff so the slave owners and the ship owners and stuff were making insurance claims for their loss of property and the insurers were like, now nah, we ain't paying you, sorry. So there was a whole big hoo-ha about it. So within that, when they landed in Nassau, there was quarantining going on at the time I was not to show exactly what for. It could have been yellow fever or a whole manner of things. So ships that came, they had a, a, a period of having to quarantine. So the quarantine officers um, took the people and there was a whole kind of bunch of legalities and stuff like that. And those involved in the insurrection were jailed um for a short period of time within that um another man did pass away during that time so we did lose the lives of two enslaved men during this revolt within that everyone including madison and the other 18 men who were the ringleaders or the ones in the forefront of the rebellion were also let go one of the things that kind of really gave me a deep sadness in this story was that five people um they were saying uh, many women and children decided to stay on the slave ship creole um as it went on to new orleans and chose to stay within enslavement and you know that in itself is something that i wish we could have these conversations to understand were they afraid were they hoping to find family in new orleans is there you know it's just kind of that understanding of trying to understand something that we think is mad like why wouldn't you want to have your freedom why would you choose to go back into that and to go to one of the most dread places like new orleans was dread okay new orleans was hard like going to the south and for them to choose to go to the southern plantations over freedom but why maybe they're trying to find somebody maybe they're trying to do exactly what madison washington um had done for susan which is find a loved one you know there's so many of these stories i will guess we'll never know the answer to but there is a but there are conflicting things about what happened with susan now one of the things i wanted to give you guys a bit of an insight is i did some digging and i found the manifest of the creole From 1841 and i saw it right there written in paper madison washington he was 22 at the time five foot nine and a half and described as black and also on the manifest there was an enslaved woman called susan um and she was 28 five foot one and described as brown i'm just saying Hashtag just saying, in terms of looking at the manifest, Madison was on the ship and a Susan was on the ship. And I'm gonna leave it up to y'all. So, guys, I hope you liked this story. A lot of nuances. It's a very epic story of a man who traveled thousands of miles, traversed through all the redneck hillbilly slave catchers of the american south and north as well and finding his way back to his wife and in this extreme twist of fate reunites with her on the slave ship that was bound to new orleans so maybe they were just destined to be together so guys i hope you enjoyed this episode this love story and i do have another one coming up that's coming from kumba That's gonna be coming out very soon, but thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.